Well, um, we're, we're going to continue in our series, uh, Need a Jumpstart, question mark, all right? And uh, last week, we talked about needing a jumpstart in our relationships, in our relationships. And specifically, we looked at James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, he makes it really clear. He says we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires for us, right? But we are to humbly accept Humbly accept the word of God, which is planted in us. Now, this was the key. We talked about how James not only reveals that to us, but how then he instructs us to do this every day. Every day. That we have to commit ourselves daily to the work of God in our lives and to then what he calls us to do every day. Because it's so easy for us to forget, right? I mean, I forget what happened yesterday when I wake up in the morning. It happens. We're so fickle. And so we have to constantly remind and preach the gospel that is Jesus Christ to us. So today, we're going to take another step. We're going to talk about jump-starting our finances. Now, I get it. I get it. When I say the word finances, there's a bunch of alarms sometimes that go off in people's heads, right? right? A lot of people don't like talking about money. As a matter of fact, when a marriage ends, what is one of the three things that causes that marriage to end? Finances. It's a difficult subject. We're going to go at it a different way today. We're going to look at it in a way that maybe you're not used to or you don't necessarily expect. But before I do that, I want to show you something. Anybody know how to use nunchucks? <laughs> do you really? Get up here. <clears throat> come on, come on. I got some Nerf ones, dad, mom and dad, so I think we're, we're going to be okay. All right. Okay, you show us, show us a little bit of what you got. All right, nice, nice. Very good. Very good. Okay, now I'm going to try. I'm just kidding. I'm a, I don't want to do that. I wouldn't know what to do with these things other than injure myself. Uh, but uh, nunchucks are something, obviously, that we that we've seen in movies, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anybody know who the nunchuck turtle was? Michelangelo. So disappointed in you guys right now. Okay. <laughs> Michelangelo was the nunchucks guy. So, you know, we see these things and we're, sometimes we could be awfully amazed by what it is that somebody's able to do with a set of nunchucks. And we think of them as obviously a weapon that's used to you know, defend or attack, you know, somebody that is our enemy of sorts. But that's not what they were originally designed for. I don't know if you knew this or not, but a variation of the original nunchucks were actually a farming tool. So ancient oriental farmers used nunchucks in order to thresh grain. And what's interesting about it is that these ancient oriental farmers, they, they used or they had to adapt rather these farming tools. They had to adapt to use them also 
as weapons. You know, to, to fend off or to, uh, to attack enemies, you know, either of the human variety or of the animal variety, they would use their farming tools as weapons. And so the point being with this is that they had to use what they had, not what they wished they had. They weren't able to carry with them farming equipment and weapons, Rather, they had to adapt what they had and not wish what they didn't have. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I want you to go ahead and turn to um, Luke. Luke chapter 12. It's in the New Testament. There are Bibles in front of you as well as uh, the verses will be on the screen. Or you can go to your Bible app. I'll give you a few moments to look that up. And while you're looking that up, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke chapter 12, I want to I just give you a, a few statistics or a few uh, kind of research facts to kind of set the stage here this morning. So the average American, you and me, we approach life very different, differently than these ancient Oriental farmers did. According to recent research, studies have found that Americans spend more money each year on garbage bags than almost half the world's population spends on all other goods. Americans spend more money each year on garbage bags, bags in which we put things that we're throwing away, but just on the bags, than almost half of the entire world spends on all other goods. So as such, you would think that because of this abundance that we have as Americans, that it would increase our happiness. Right? That, we're, that America would be like kind of the Disney world of the world, right? The happiest country on earth. But in actuality, even though Americans' personal income, income has increased to more than two and a half times over the past 50 years, two and a half times has been the increase over the last 50 years, research shows that the level of happiness it hasn't changed at all. Hasn't changed at all. So here's, here's a question then that we have to wrestle with. When is enough enough? When is enough enough? And how much does a person need then to be genuinely happy? Well, perhaps, as usual, Jesus can shed some light on this subject. So in Luke chapter 12, we find ourselves here in a scenario in which Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And while they're on their way to Jerusalem, uh, he's, he's now in a place where he's speaking to his disciples. He's sharing with them some, some, some warnings, some things to, to consider, to look out for. And while he's doing this, a large crowd gathers around Jesus, all right? So this large crowd now is gathered around Jesus, and we see what happens next in verse 13 of Luke 12. 
someone in the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I bet this guy's brother was standing right next to him, right? Hey, hey you, teacher, tell, tell this guy right here that he needs to divide his inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, and I love this reply, man, that's what he says, man, probably not like that though. <laughs> Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, them being the whole crowd that had, that had gathered around Jesus, he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he being Jesus then told the people that had gathered around this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, this rich man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops, which isn't actually true. We'll get to that here in a minute. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And every year, Watch the Vikings break your heart. <laughs> oh, wait, that's not in there. I must, must have been something I put in. Okay, sorry, sorry, distraction. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from him, from you. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus ends with this statement. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. But is not rich toward God. So we're going to break down this passage. And I love doing this. Because you begin to uncover things that, that, that God is, is wanting to, to share with us and speak to us because the Bible is living and active and it interacts with us. So we need to allow God's word to do that this morning. So what's the first thing that Jesus says after he, after he kind of chastises this man for calling out his brother, right? What does he say? He says, watch out. Watch out. See, Jesus is saying here that this problem just doesn't simply, you know, isn't something that we stumble upon. That's the point here. So, like, if you're at a baseball game, if you're at the Twins game and you're sitting in the stands, right, and you're looking down on your phone and all of a sudden someone says, watch out! What are you going to do? You're going to duck, right? Don't look up. Duck! Watch out, that means something's coming at you. 
So Jesus is saying here, okay, there's something. It's not something that you're just going to stumble upon or, or, walk, or come, come upon or, or, or fall into. No, it's coming at you. It's coming at you. And so we need to watch out and we need to be on our guard, Jesus says. So what do we need to watch out for? Fair question. What is it that we need to be on our guard against? Well, Jesus answers that question. He says, all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. Now, I, when we think of the word greed, we immediately think of money, right? Of, 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 of uh, dollar bills, of, of checking accounts, and you know, transactions. But greed isn't just about money. As a matter of fact, the, the Greek word for, for greed is pleonexia. And pleonexia basically means the insatiable desire, that's a strong set of words, the insatiable desire to have what rightfully belongs to others and also a belief that others and things exist for one's own benefit. So greed isn't just about money. Greed is an insatiable desire to have what rightfully belongs to others, a.k.a. God, and a belief that God and the things around us exist for our own benefit. An insatiable desire. And what is that? What is that desire? What is that kind of instinctual desire that we often exhibit and what comes out, what manifests itself in the things around us? This is a desire for self-worth and personal value. Self-worth and personal value. Meaning that we... We try so hard in our lives to elevate our self-worth or our personal value by the abundance or the things or the status or the authority or the degrees or the house or the cars. All those things come into play and we convince ourselves that our value and our self-worth are tied in to that stuff. So we got to ask the question here this morning. Where do you draw your self-worth and your personal value from? Do you have an insatiable desire to get your personal value or your self-worth from the things in your life? Not just the tangible things, but as I mentioned, the prestige, the authority, your job, your status, your degrees, all that stuff or from God. I've heard it said, and I don't know the exact number, but I've heard it said that if Bill Gates stopped and picked up a $20 bill, that he'd lose more money than if he just continued to walk by. That's crazy, right? And when we hear something like that, this is what we do. This is what we do. 
we determine, we self-determine that Bill Gates has more self-worth or more value than we do. Because we've gotten so accustomed to monitoring and determining value and worth based on the things in our lives, the status, security, achievement, that we forget. What do we forget? We forget the verse that's at every football game, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That means that everybody here, every single buddy, every single person here has unique and equal worth in the eyes of God. But we don't always live like that, do we? So do you have an insatiable desire to get your personal value or your self-worth from your stuff or from God? Now, I want to lay down something here that you know, needs to be said. So I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression here that there is nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with that. However, there is something wrong from drawing your personal value or worth from those things and not from God. So here Jesus, in his story, he starts out by saying, watch out, watch out. Why? Because these things are coming at us. They are, they are attacking us, and so we need to be on our guard, a guard against all kinds of greed. And then Jesus, through this parable, begins to underline this next point, and that is this, remember who yields the harvest. We see in this parable here in Luke 12 that the ground yielded an abundant harvest. Now, being that he was a rich man, I'm sure he didn't, he wasn't in the field at all, right? He probably had his servants or his laborers do all the work. But even those that did all the work, they weren't the ones that were causing the harvest to grow. That was God. The rich man didn't create the harvest. He didn't cause the crops to grow. It was God who did that. But the rich man obviously didn't get the memo, or if he, didn't, or if he did get the memo, he tossed it away because he says this. He says, there is no place to store whose crops? My crops. It's like this. I love my kids. Where are you at? Love my kids. But they got the messiest rooms. Holy cow. <laughs> That's what kids do, right? My room is messy too. You know, but if I, you know, when I go to my kids, and you, if you have kids or maybe, you know, if uh, grandkids or whatever, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you go to your kids and you say, hey, you got to clean up this room, all right? All right? There's a Pop-Tart there. We haven't had a Pop-Tart here in six months. You got to do something about this. You know, and then the kid looks at you and says, why? This is my room, all right? It can be messy, right? It's my room. And you're like, no, reality check here. 
this is my room. This is my house. You're just living here, right? <laughs> we approach God that way, don't we? Either intentionally or unintentionally, because we're not intentional. We say, God, I, I mean, I, I, can, I can do, this is my stuff. I worked hard for this. I worked hard to be where I'm at. And God says, no, no, it's, it's not your stuff. It's mine. But not only does the rich man not recognize who created the harvest, he then goes on to state that he will build bigger ones. Now keep in mind, in this story, right, the rich man, he already has the facilities to hold grain. So he, year after year, he, he reaps a harvest and is able to store those things. But this year, he's had an abundance, right, a surplus. He's had more than he normally has. And the facilities that he's used year after year now are not enough. And so he does the only logical thing, right? He tears them down. That's what he's going to do. He's going to tear down those facilities, build bigger ones. So he can have all the space he needs for the surplus that he received. But the the man, the rich man here, never stopped to ask why he even had a surplus in the first place. Was it so that he could build bigger? Did he get more? Did he get an abundance so that he could tear down his already existing storehouses and create bigger ones? Or or was it so that he could give it to others and subsequently God? The greatest commandment, the greatest commandment. Jesus is asked a singular question. What is the greatest commandment? He gives a plural answer. Love God, love others. They're one and the same. Was it so that he get the abundance so that he could give that abundance, that surplus to others, and subsequently God? But as a result of the man's actions, God says, you fool. You fool. Those are two words that I never want to hear God say to me. You fool. Why was the rich man foolish? So here God is pointing out that the foolishness of storing up for an abundance will one day go away because one day, presumably soon, it says in this parable, the rich man will, quote unquote, go away. See, this rich man, this rich farmer, he, he's... He's a fool not because he is wealthy. It's not because he saves for the future. It's only because he lives only for himself. And because he believes that he can secure his life by his abundant possessions. And this is evidence in the fact that the rich man, he only talks to himself. Never to God. What do we see here? We see this. The man said, or um, he, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. 
I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. He never, ever asks God, what do you want me to do? Furthermore, the rich man expressed no gratitude, no praise, no thankfulness to God for this surplus. He is blind to the fact that his life is not his own to secure, but that his life belongs to God. And that God can demand it back at any time. So this brings us to the final point. Not only is Jesus saying watch out for those things that are coming at us because we don't just stumble upon them, but they're coming to attack us. All forms of greed, we need to be on our guard. We also need to remember who yields the crop in the first place, who causes it to grow. But then here Jesus is ultimately telling us to be rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? We need to ask and answer the following question. Are you worshiping your abundance? Or are you lavishing God with your abundance? And what will be your final words here on this earth? Because that day will approach and that day will occur. Will you either say, I gave everything of myself that I could. Or will you say, I wish I had given more of my time, of my talents, of my resources? How many of you have a firebox? You should get one. So we have a firebox at our house, and this box is important because in case there's a fire, obviously in our house, whatever inside of this box will remain safe, presumably. We haven't tested it, but that's what, that's what Amazon said. So it would make sense that we have some pretty important things in this, in this box. As such, we have things like, well, our passports. Has anybody ever stood in line to get a new passport? Yeah, you know that's the next thing to hell. I mean, it's just not fun. <laughs> you know, we also have important documents in here like, uh, like birth certificates, right, that are super, super hard to get. Or we have our will is in here, uh, social security cards. You know, these documents that are you know, really hard to duplicate or replace, you know, we keep these things locked up in this firebox. But what Jesus is warning us against here in this passage is living our lives instead as if we were going to then decide to place all these things in a cardboard box. Now, if I was to do this, all these important documents, these things that are super hard to replace, that are maybe one of a kind, if I was to put all these things in a cardboard box, close it up, tape it up, and put it in an attic of my house, you would look at me and you would say, you fool. 
Why would you do that? A cardboard box is easily consumed. I mean, it's, what if it gets wet? It's just going to fall apart. If it gets wet, everything in there is going to get wet. It's going to get ruined. But this is what we do. We live only for the temporary. We're convinced that this is all the life that we know. We live our lives as if we are not eternal beings. But we're wrong. We have this time so that we can, in as much as we can, love God and love others. It's just that simple. That is our greatest form of worship. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. And I, I earnestly ask, Lord, that you would continue to move in our lives, to speak to us in ways, Lord, in which we may not expect and honestly may at times be uncomfortable with, Lord, but I pray that we would always know that not only do you desire what's best for us, but you desire the best from us. So that you are glorified and that so that we can hold out the word of life and shine like the stars in the sky. Show us how to do that by giving you the best of all that you've given us. We pray this in your name. Amen.